I announced the gospel after the first reading, not just because I'm old and senile, but because there was a gospel phrase at the end of that reading. In the midst, in the midst of it all, it said, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. The words of God set down by the prophet Isaiah, even after he's chewed out Israel, and that's what that 30th chapter is about, he's, he's kind of going after them because they are uh, uh, oppressing their own people, uh, they are relentless in their pursuit of self-justification, self-satisfaction, self-proclamation. And yet, after he's angry with them, he pronounces grace. He rises to show them compassion. The irony is that in tonight's lesson, we have literally Jesus rising on the cross and showing compassion. Oh, we've seen it thus far as he has forgiven those folks. We've seen it as he has offered to share paradise with the criminal. In last week's voice of Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sebastia was out of order. It really is tonight's word, but tonight's word would have been the third which is to show compassion. And as we explained, this is because the, the series that Aaron and I are looking at juxtaposed those because of the Bible study, really, I think, more than anything. So we're putting together these, these calls of compassion, forgiveness, sharing paradise, and now this sense of compassion with his mother. Dear woman, dear woman, proclaiming to Mary what might be painful but yet which is the truth in that she is the woman who is dear to him. But it is now time to break this earthly bond. This is a time of great respect for Jesus. You see, the mother in the, in the, the, the Hebrew household of this time was, was one of considerable authority, believe it or not. Even though perhaps in society women were, were subservient in many ways, in each Hebrew household the mother was indeed the disciplinarian, the authority over, over the family life. And we look biblically, we can see this. It was Sarah who demanded that Abraham send Hagar off. Remember that. It was Micah's mother who demanded that a, a, a statue be made to be put in his house for worship. It was uh, uh, Rebecca who really orchestrated the deceit, you see, of her two sons over their father. And now we come and we see that Mary is here with her son. And even in the gospel of John's, John's writing, we understand that the, the authority that, that Jesus had. You remember the first sign, the first miracle ever done, the one recorded in John's gospel? We're at the wedding. Oh, my goodness, they're running out of wine. Hey, talk to the boy. He'll take care of you. Mother, I didn't come to do this. Yeah, right. Do what he says. Any of us who've had mothers understand what it is to absolutely be ignored when they try and straighten us out, right? Or we try to straighten them out. 
And yet what we see here, though, is this abject love and this ultimate respect because the mother is the, as I think in most families, the true nurturer, the caregiver, the lover in the family. And I know in, in the 21st century and even in the late 20th, that was changing. And as fathers, we learned to be more feeling and more compassionate. But at least from a biblical text, we see that the mother is that person as we watch Mary pine for her son throughout all of the 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 events of his life and even to his death, and he cares for her here. And there is a sense of respect, there's a sense of responsibility, and above all, there's a sense of obedience. And now we have to wonder, particularly as Protestants, because we know that Jesus had siblings. They're named in Scripture. But none are there. As he hangs suffering on the cross, knowing that he will die soon, he cares for that mother. He does that by placing her in the care of his beloved disciple John. And we think at times, oh, then, then John has this mother. Woman, here is your son. Not in the sense that Jesus was a son or that, that his brothers and sisters were her children, but a, a son given by God to, to care for her and to watch over her if others wouldn't because we don't have evidence of, of his siblings until much later in the book of Acts. And we do know that John's brother would be martyred early. He's the only one of the apostles. James is the only one of the apostles that the Bible explains his martyrdom is Acts chapter 12. You see that Herod has him beheaded. And so it'll only be a few years until John may be alone. We've lost sight of Zebedee. And there's some evidence that his mother Salome is still in the picture. She too was a follower of Christ. But we have people here with needs who are feeling isolated and the compassion that Jesus shows them is the beauty of what's going on here. We we, we have to be careful not to get caught up in the the nitpicking of, well, but but John didn't need a mother, Salome was right there, and you know, Jesus had siblings. And once we try to think this through too far, we've we've in our human way, we've wandered off from the point of the text, which is to show the compassion of Christ in his, his most vulnerable last few minutes or hours on earth, that he's so caring that he very specifically puts his mother in the care of John and John in the care of his mother. Woman, here is your son. The word son implies there's an obligation to be sure that this woman is never alone, that she is always cared for completely. And Jesus has to do that before he can, before he can rest in peace as he struggles with his crucifixion. Think about how difficult this would be. We do this in the modern world all the time. We make plans so that we are not burdens to our children. Many of us, my stage and beyond, understand this vividly. 
Younger folks will grow to understand it in about 40 or 50 years, how important that is. As a matter of fact, in our house, I have to tell you a story. The kids were sitting around one day. We have three. We have uh, uh, two, two girls and a, and a boy, and, and the, the, they were arguing who was going to take care of their mother when uh, she had to go in the, the home. And actually, my daughter-in-law announced, Mom, don't worry. I'll take care of you. And my son says, no, no. He says, we've got enough money. I can pay my sister to take care of her. True story. True story. Here we have the antithesis. Here we have the beauty of the compassion that comes from one in the midst of his own misery. He looks down from the cross and he sees the needs of the world. And this, my friends, is what ties us to the Old Testament lesson. This is what ties us to, and yet the Lord longs to be gracious. In spite of everything, he has to be gracious. He has to take care of those little debts and those little obligations that are truly a son's and a friend's. He rises to show you compassion. The prophet writes, as Christ would rise in agony and pain to be the atonement for our sin, he looks at us as we continue our, our life here and he shows the compassion and the hope and the love to each of us. And so often, unfortunately, in such a busy world, we don't always understand that that compassion is there. Just today I was talking to a, a young man that wants to enter the seminary this fall. Wonderful young guy, 20, 27 years old. And I'm learning about him. It's the, the first step in the process is called the, the, uh, the initial interview. And then I write a report and you send that to the candidacy committee and they actually do the entrance. But we just like to get a background. 23 years old, and he has survived a brain tumor. Graduated from college with honors. Has made an attempt to do his lifelong dream, which is to be a sports manager. And in the midst of all of this, comes to the realization that nothing has satisfied him because he's had this call from God to serve God's people. How can you do that without the compassion of a loving God who looks down in the midst of one's suffering? I think where it came together was when he explained that while he was, while he was in treatment for this brain tumor, he struggled with where was God? You know, why me, God? We all do that from time to time. But it was at that point that he realized God was there. The point of this Lenten season is that we might recognize the Christ who walked this earth, that he could take our sins upon himself and be raised upon a cross, that he indeed could empathize so closely and so dearly 
that he could forgive our sins. Isaiah speaks of a God who is just, and yet we don't understand that because if God were just like you or me, he would have climbed from that cross and turned his back and walked away. But the beauty of God's justice through Jesus Christ is that his justice is a justice of grace. And what he does is not concern for himself as the son who says, I'll pay my sister, but the son who says, no, you are mine and I will care from you and for you no matter what. As we prepare for the glorious resurrection of our Lord, let us feel his embrace. In those times of depth and misery in his life, let us feel his compassion, for he is a God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. As we hear, woman, here is your son, son, here is your mother, let us hear our own name. Here is your God who loves you infinitely. And feel comforted by that grace and by that lovely compassion. And may we have the strength to share just a modicum of that compassion with those around us in a very troubled world. That it might give glory to his justice, to his grace, to his compassion and love. Amen.